Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to the Cultural Studies Podcast. It's Toby Miller here. I'm in Norshopping. How's that for pronunciation, guys? Norshopping, Sweden. Norshopping, Sweden. And specifically, I am in the Norshopping campus of Linshopping University. University. So how's that? And I'm here with the two bosses, curators, heads, revolving men. And janitors. And janitors. The janitors of the Museum of Forgetting. And I'd like you both to introduce yourselves. Maybe start with you, Costa. Mm, I'm Costa Economo, and I um, work uh, at the university, at the Department for Studies of uh, Culture and Social Change. But I have, together with Eric Berggren here, since 2007, worked with the Museum of Forgetting as a freestanding curatorial project and critical cultural project where we made uh, several exhibitions and and various critical and politically uh, important stuff. And there's going to be, we're going to talk about that a lot today. And Eric, if you could introduce yourself. Yes, I'm Eric Bagman and uh, my day job is also at the <laughs> university, at the Institute for Research on Migration and Ethnicity, and uh, where I work with uh, research communication and editing, and uh, also a little research and teaching, uh, but mainly I'm a communicator of mm-hmm. research. And um, yes, and otherwise I have a background as a freelance writer and uh, some cultural production and so on, and, and it kind of came together in the project Museum of Forgetting that we started now five years ago or six mm. years Five years ago. Yeah, well, no. 2007? Two so seven. Yeah. Yeah, time, time, time flies. Time flies, <laughs> yeah, time flies <laughs> yes. when you're forgetting. Yes. I have an anecdote about forgetting. Um, a guy I know, John Froe, was going to give a keynote in Manchester. He lived in Australia at the time, in Manchester in England, at a conference on forgetting. He arrived, turned up with his paper, and discovered that he had, he had appeared a year early. <laughs> <laughs> so can you forget something that hasn't yet happened? <laughs> yeah. This was his foundational yeah. question. That's yeah, a good yeah, entry. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a that's a that's a nice point because we we're using forgetting to uh, work with um, future issues and important issues mm. that that deals with the today and the, the the problematics of of today, not in a historical sense, trying to sort of bring back the past or something, but rather claiming that uh, museums, the media, etc. Uh, actually rather creates forgetting or are machines of forgetting. Machines of forgetting. Yeah, that was one expression yeah. that, that, that you used in the text. Uh, so we wanted to start the Museum mm. of Forgetting to bring up other perspectives, other uh, notions that we thought were important when it comes to the latest project now is on migration. We'd also done projects on war that was how we started as a reaction against the media coverage the repetitive media coverage of the iraqi war in 2006 and 7 that goes on today as well so claiming that um what the media is doing and museums might be doing is actually not letting us know very much about what goes on yeah. you just get the repetitive notions that 10 people died today in a suicide bombing but yeah it came from Actually, just, you know, an engagement in the Iraq war, Mm -hmm. which came into a phase where we first were upset, Mm -hmm. you know, about the Bush government and and the war starting on. And then we could sense that it became normal, normalized. 
and you have this reporting every day, you know, of uh, fragmented information about a war. Mm. But the bits and pieces of information you got was not something you could build any narrative or understanding of what was going on. So we kind of realized, my God, this is much better than propaganda. They don't need to lie. They just tell us about what various happened bombs. What happened today? Yeah, what happened today. Very, very in the presence. So there's a presence always kind of obliterating a past and then also the story of the future. And we realized that this served the American project very well and the media took were, were so willing to take it on because it, mm. it fit into their idea of objectivity to erase the past and erase the future because mm. this is loaded political stuff, right? Colonialism and, and consequences mm. of a war like this. And But these bombs had just happened, was just news. So there you have the machine of forgetting, feeding yeah. everybody with actually accurate information. So it's true, it's just inadequate because yeah, it's yeah, not giving yes. a context, it's yes. not giving an explanation. Is mm -hmm. that yeah, yeah, you could, the yeah, basic, you could, yeah, yeah, you that, could say that. that. That's how we got into this, mm. you know, the, the, the constant production mm. of forgetting mm. as a very important and, and dangerous political mm. tool and so. Yeah. So, and then, and then we, well, it's a long story, but we ended up with this twist of the museum of forgetting. It's, of course, a play. The museum mm. normally points out what we should remember, but we, but but combining these two, and put a focus on forgetting as a way of understanding forgetting. It's mm. it's an entry point that we have had a lot of benefit from as a as a creative tool mm -hmm. to ask rather what is forgotten here. Why did we forget that? Rather than this, we should remember. Mm. Sometimes we end up at the same place, but mm. but the kind of to entry a certain question. From that perspective of mm. forgetting has has been well you know mm. beneficial and, and uh, interesting way to yeah. yeah and it's it's also uh, an instance of changing medium for us having worked both with writing texts in, in newspapers that you've been doing and, and academics so i started off as a media uh, studies person culture right. studies person uh, working very much with critical discourse analysis and that and that, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, which makes you sensible to meaning construction and, and, and all that, but also wanting to address the issues more directly and meeting an audience, of course, and, and working working also with our hands in building exhibitions right? yeah. and yeah. reaching out to an audience and all, all of that stuff. And that When we came in contact with a lot of artists and developed a way of working, which meant that we sort of create a, a theme or a concept that we want to work with yeah. and address issues of political substance and, and that's cri great. critical and, and working with artists that mm -hmm. are actually doing the same but might be sort of caught up in their uh, machine of forgetting sort of the art system if you like or the and you're giving or, an archive an archival space for their work in part yes but also yeah. having have what do you mean wait, 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 we, wait, we wait, have wait, created wait. actual exhibitions sure sure them. but what yeah. I mean is but it also gives a perpetuity an archive, and mean? a, 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 a a con an ongoing world, an ongoing space mm. for their work to exist in, in, co in concert with others, along a theme. Yeah. Right? Well, yes. Exhibitions, basically. We right. don't have. Yeah. We used to have. A, we used to have a place. Yeah. You know, one right. building here in, in in the nearby, but and and then we went nomadic after a while uh -huh. to avoid 
pay rent, basically. <laughs> but what I mean is your exhibitions are permanent, no. the ones online. Oh, well, the, the website is, yes, of course. So I, can, you I, can, I can visit your old exhibition. This is more documentation. That's more documentation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's so true. you archive yes. your exhibitions yes. in yeah, that yeah. sense. Well, well and the, the not fully, not fully. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not a full web version of it. It's, it's more of a, to show a little, and we try to gather, right. you know. Right, yes. So mm -hmm. let's go back to this, this mm -hmm. movement from having bricks and mortar, a physical building, to this more virtual and pop-up world. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that? I mean, the financial part's interesting, but mm. so is what it means curatorially, intellectually, physically. Well, it was, the one reason was, uh, of course, that we just had a space, and the space is demanding, and we don't <laughs> quite do this full-time. So it became a little pressure. It opened up. Of course, for a lot of possibilities. We had right. parties and could do things and let other people do things in this space. Yeah. And that is something you lose when you lose your space. But on the other hand, we... We... <laughs> we, we then did some concentrated exhibitions and I mean it was practical reasons so that yeah. they wanted a higher rent eventually so we had to move out and then we thought let's go nomadic and find a space when we have a project rather so yeah. and, and that creates uh, changes conditions a lot uh, I wouldn't yeah it, it makes you more flexible in a way but uh, but also you have to be more more concentrated, you can't share power as much. You know, if if we get invited to curate an exhibition in a space, yeah, you, you, a little of the playfulness is lost. But of course, another flexibility is common. We can move around and reach right. other audiences. It's also it's also uh, a case of being able to do versions of your exhibitions and develop them sort of. Uh, as a curatorial project, like, like in the last project where we've done like four or five instances in various places all over Sweden and in Ireland as well, when we were invited to, to, to work with it there, the migration project, which yeah. has been, come to think of it, a way of getting out of sort of the constraints of the local production of an exhibition mm. and uh, spreading the, the idea and the theme uh, out there in, in, in various things. So we, we sort of switched and come back, I think, to a more fundamental way of working, thinking about and developing uh, a project in conjunction with artists and other places and other curators and academics. Uh, so we've gone from building, fr from sort of working with the actual space in Norrköping or the spaces in Norrköping mm. or the art hall where we were invited to do an exhibition in, in Linköping a few years ago, mm. which, which, which also have their constraints, pragmatic constraints of, of, of the building, pragmatic constraints of the local art scene and, and the politics there. And going back to this last project, um, where, which I think that we've gone back to sort of fundamental concept uh, development, if you like. Yeah, it's kind of, I don't know, it, it, it's it's <clears throat> that, that puts it in a nice way. I, I think it's more also confusion. <laughs> it's a good starting point, yeah. but but so so this project that we're working on now is um, as we worked with the other exhibitions, we came across a lot of interesting artists working on migration issues, and that's well mm. an issue close to my 
other work and so yeah. on. So, oh, we have to do something yeah. about this. And it's a very, you know, acute and relevant issue today. And we were engaged in that. And then we kind of got stuck. What do we do with this? It's very difficult to make a, you know, exhibition of an acute crisis going on where people suffer a lot. So we kind of got stuck and stopped and needed to think it through. So the form, so, and the solution was to start a project called Is This the Time for Art? Is this the time for art? Yeah. yeah. Very Adorno-like <laughs> title. Yeah, well, we, we, we really, and it was a genuine question. Sure. You know, yeah, is yeah. that really the way to approach this? It seemed to us a bit perverse to, you know, serve some sherry and, and put up images of, of people dying in, well, in the Mediterranean. The po poverty porn yeah. question. Poverty yes. pornography. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. And, and, and the ethics yeah. of it and, and the, mm -hmm. the impact on relevance. Mm. And we had to think that through. And that then was... We chose some artworks with people we have worked with uh, and, and then made a smaller display while also putting this discussion on the table very much. Is this the time for art? How do we deal with this? Yeah. And we did this, as, yeah. as Costa said, in different places. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think, yeah, well, it was necessary. I think also this comes in a period where we kind of maybe take the curatorial... Uh, 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 job, I mean, it changes for every exhibition, mm. and you you raise your demands on yourself. And at this point, we well, we needed to do this. Mm. And you could say that we we were able to go back to our network of of people that we worked with before, as 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 Eric said, and some of them are are uh, Spanish and Latin American artists and Spanish Swedish um, that have worked with other ways of representing this issue of migration mm. it's, uh, very much not the sort of the the, the porn aspect that you were that yeah. you were saying because yeah. everybody I'm not could be crying no. of course <laughs> yeah. porn porn's yeah. fine policy porn because that's what you would get in in the sort of machine of forgetting yeah. even if it's yeah. important of course that we 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 become sympathetic to individual persons situations and destinies but still we need to think more about other ways of representing this so one of the artists uh, Daniela Ortiz and Jose Quiroga from Peru and, and, and Spain they basically made a collection of YouTube videos where people have witnessed filmed and and uh, uploaded um, just phone images of um, deportation scenes in airplanes mm. Um, camps, that kind of stuff, and um, where you can argue that the artists are not so present in that work. It's sort of a witnessing from everybody that potentially uh, could see a situation like that. And what happens when you collect those and display them in uh, in an exhibition? And another work is by by Oscar Lara, who basically just filmed um, people in a refugee camp in in Denmark, and you can see you see their mouths only. And they're just saying very simply, six years, two years, the number of years that they've been in detention. Good grief. Yeah. And so you get a feeling of the structural issues and, 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 and problems. And I think we could work with that yep. because we'd worked with those issues before, with those artists before we mm. and developed the concept through their artwork and our, and our thinking. Yeah, it was interesting that we kind of chose these artworks. We, you know, they contacted us, and we had contact with these artists, and yeah, let's work with them. And then we put up a little display, and then 
this is this the time for art? It, it took a while to answer to ourselves, why did we choose these works? And we had to articulate that and understand. And then it became clear that the way to do uh, an art exhibition or work with this, you know, difficult political question was to 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 be aware of to what extent we kind of uh, display suffering individuals mm. or the fate of individuals mm. or if we look at an, an artwork that bring in as you said structural or, or the system a, 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 critic, a criticism against the system and, mm. and that's very important to avoid the kind of just victimization and mm. mm-hmm. and, and we felt and, and different artists work with this cropping the image and and, and and avoiding so so normally it seems like a good thing to bring out the person the fate of a person and you mm-hmm. can identify but that is becomes a problem also in terms of that is maybe a way to 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 as an audience get off the hook or be, oh, be look, yes, um, you know. one of the things i confront when yeah. i'm um giving presentations about electronic waste and particularly pepenadores or rag pickers or recicladores, the people Mm. who pick up this stuff in the street or in landfill areas is that the photographs tend not to give them names. And of course, they're not white people. Mm. Uh, They are mostly going to be very poor Asian or African or Latin American people. And they're never identified in the photographs and they don't normally have a voice. So how do you show their experience without this sense of diminishing it? Mm. One of the things that struck me at the Museum of Work the other day was an exhibit there of people from photographs of individuals who were collective farmers Mm. in the uh, Baltic states Mm. under the Soviet Union. Mm. Very tragic. You could be looking at photographs from the Works Progress Administration the United States Mm. in the 30s of sharecroppers. But they all had names. They were Mm. given names, they were given stories, they had genealogies. Mm. And this, I think, is terribly important to consider, either cropping them so that, Mm. in a sense, you're not using the totality Mm. of the person, or actually giving them individuation Mm. and allowing them to be subjects. So Mm. I think what you and your artists are doing is tremendously important in confronting Mm. this issue. You want to humanize the issue of migration, Mm. right? Mm but not fetishize these people's experience right. for a bunch of lib- left liberals like ourselves who are pro-immigration mm. anyway. Yeah. Mm. But the thing is, thing <laughs> is with these artists that I've discovered that what you say is to make a person stand out and come out as a, a, a living person, not just an example or so yeah. But some of the artists we have seen, they've chosen the opposite yeah. way to, 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 to really to get the system in view and, and blur the boundary between yeah. the victim and me as privileged, you know. Mm. And, and in some way, I think they are seeking in an interesting way uh, to, to, to tell us something about how we are all implicated yeah. Yeah. and, and uh, insecuring also who's actually privileged or victim mm-hmm. in, in this. That mm-hmm. It's mm. difficult, but, mm. but uh, I think we're all very, very, you know, Involved in a way and affected mm. by this, uh, you know, global capitalism, a precarious growing in Western countries and, and migration issues. Sure. And, and need to get that in view also. Yeah. 
So there's many layers to this. Mm. One of the other mm. works in this mm. this exhibition is by Nuria Guell, a Spanish mm. artist, and uh, she she set up at the Gothenburg Biennale a couple of years ago, and she made a documentation of this that we show uh, a, a situation whereby a, a hidden refugee can play hide and seek with the audience. You can you can as audience you can you can uh, volunteer to play hide and seek. So you search for her. When you find her. Then you have a conversation with her about wow, her situation. It's just brilliant. Uh, and also another layer of this work and the yeah. work that Nuria tries to do, which isn't always so easy to do, of course, is that in order for this to happen, the Biennale, the authorities, the Swedish authorities, had to employ her for a couple of I don't know months, weeks, yeah. uh, to to do this project. And that what she works with. Can we use the structures of the art system here? Yeah to uh, actually make this person official for for a while by employing her, which totally sort of changes the And then also using library migration laws. Uh, yes. So she became legal yeah. for and that period. For that period. Yeah, well, that was actually, in this case, not because of her employment, because she, it was her case were up for, up, for asylum was mm. up for review, right. and then she has a right during that uh, period to okay. stay yeah. so yeah. but uh, mm. otherwise she's like playing with the laws mm. and playing with mm. the notion of ethics and, and so on yeah. so this idea of playing mm. with a migrant mm. playing hide and seek seems to be you know offensive to many people who you know walk along the art exhibition in Gothenburg and then run into a, you know, formerly illegal so called legal mm -hmm. migrant and were offered to play with her by mm. herself and so, so then you, you place yeah, the, the you place the audience in, in yeah. front of a yes. kind of ethical choice. Mm. And the funny thing is that she's always making mm. this choice very dubious and and uh, mm. uh, difficult in a way that what seems to be to take the high road. No, I will not engage in that. That's exploiting mm. this poor person mm. would be one choice, maybe mm. one mm. reaction. Mm. Whereas then. Well, what do you do? Well, you, you contribute to her being invisible as she had been yes. for eight years and, and saving maybe some moral feeling in yourself. Mm -hmm. Whereas to play with her was actually to do an act of solidarity. Mm. To connect. Mm. And yes. of course, if you're not playing hide and seek with her, then the state will. Mm. Isn't this the point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So she's always like uh, insecuring mm -hmm. or, or mm -hmm. destabilizing these boundaries in, mm -hmm. in an interesting way. And one of her previous work that we showed, I think mm -hmm. maybe we were one of the first to show it, uh, uh, she arranged a marriage with herself as the bride in, as a Spanish European citizen in Cuba where she was working. And uh, so she put that out as a sort of a contest for um, Spanish woman offers marriage to the Cuban boy who can write me the most beautiful love letter. And the one who won got engaged in this project, so they arranged a marriage and held that up, uh, made the whole story, the fake story of their relationship and everything. And after two years, when he gets um, a residence permit uh, in, in Spain, i.e. in Europe, uh, the contract ends and they, they can divorce and she can uh, display this as an as an art project, and the whole project is called humanitarian aid. <laughs> so, wow. so she she's very smart she, in doing uh, funny projects. Yeah.
So it both has to do, when you see these documentations of those works, you see parts of the, as in Gothenburg, the audience themselves are, are there, i.e. us. Yeah, very that uncomfortable. Could have me, yeah, and have, as Eric's saying, have, has to deal with this, as in Daniela's uh, simple YouTube clips, that, that we are witnesses witnessing this, we are part mm. of this. Uh, so it's that layer as well of bringing us as formerly couch potato audi audiences yeah. into realizing that we could witness this. We are also responsible for, for this in, in a well, it's done in, in our in name. A sense. It's done in our name, exactly. And with our money. Yeah. Yes. But, but, but it's been an interesting project. And mm. I mean, this is, and, and artworks, there are a, a lot of artists working in an intelligent way with the mm. migration issue mm. kind of discovered. But, mm. but, but also one thing that has come is also mm. that I think an experience and a reflection on the migration issue, maybe by itself, uh, it has special quality because art, which is political, which a lot of art is right now, it seems to be even like a hype for it, you know, mm -hmm. but an interest, which I think is good and interesting. But uh, a lot of that uh, has taken the form of an institutional criticism to move out. There's been a, for a yeah. long time, an intensified interest in, in participatory art, performance mm. art, interactivity, outside, leave the, yeah, outside, outside the, the white box, yeah. etc. And, and that is a bit kind of uh, uh, reshuffled, mm. uh, the, the order of things, because when, we're, when you focus, in a way, on the migrant, which is, in a way, radically excluded, at least people in detention centers, you know, or on the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean being pushed back, then, then it's not a dialogue between the artist, the institution, mm -hmm. and an audience. Mm -hmm. But there's, there's a fourth party here, mm -hmm. which is then reshuffling this order that you can't... Con the, the, the migrant supposedly is not, first of all, asking for art or to be included or in, in that process. So the political move out of the institution is going out into a community which is implicated and part of excluding people. Mm -hmm. So so the audience is getting another role and so on. So, and that has been interesting to think about also in relation to political art and what is sufficient and so mm -hmm. on. And kind of maybe re, uh, re-injects a kind of uh, meaning to the institution again as a, yes. as, a, as a just as relevant place to display this as on the street. The mm -hmm. street gets another mm. meaning when you have another outside, outside of the community to, to deal with. Yeah, and to me it's also been a, re a reminder that, that uh, it's the issue that is in focus and our take on that, and our perspective on that migration and what, what that entails, not the internal concerns of the art world per se, right? where you could sort of okay, now we have to go out, now we have to sort of go into the, the, the housing estates. Or yeah, good, do that. But do that in a, in a good way, where, whereby you know something about these issues first, and then you can sort of try and... So what you're talking about, I think, is a dance between sociological and aesthetic and museological norms that people yeah. are going through in fascinating ways. You know, George Udice has this book, uh, Culture as a Resource, mm -hmm. in which he claims that artworks and so on now for better or worse, are constantly obliged to be social commentary, to be social yeah. critique. It's mm. how you get funding from local governments often, mm. at the same time as these governments may be appalled 
by the result, but they want the idea of an instrumentalism that derives from art to improve things. Mm. It, mm. It's an extraordinary tendency. I wonder if we could look at some of the other exhibits mm. now. Uh, Costa, you've got uh, in front of us on another screen a whole set, and I visited these last night yeah. and this morning. Um, yeah. Perhaps this would be a good time, actually, to tell people the, the website. It's available in Swedish and in English, as I recall. Yes. Yeah, it's kind of difficult, uh, but it's www.museetforglomskap.com. <laughs> Oh, I mean, I can say that straight away. I can write it down even faster. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. Should we spell it out? Yeah, spell it out. Okay, M-U-S-E-E-T-F-O-R-G-L-O-M-S-K-A dot S-E. So it's Museum of Forgetting. I would... Just recommend to Google that. Google. And you'll find it. <laughs> find Actually, it. So the Museum of Forgetting. I, we've, I, yeah. we've mentioned two of the exhibits. One yeah, on we can war, tell a little. On immigration. There is a little logic, actually. Yeah, we, tell us about the logic. The I'm going to go and fill up my tea cup, but yeah. keep talking, boys. All right, we'll do that. So tell us about, you know, you've mentioned politics as your governing yeah. interest. Mm. So how do you choose your issues? Well, okay. That's funny. Uh, but let's have another war was a starting point for a bigger exhibition, and that was based on our uh, dealing with the Iraq war and, and, the, and the media coverage of that. And then we made a bigger exhibition. Artists had contacted us and wanted to work with us. They liked the notion of a museum of forgetting and so on. So we made an art exhibition called Let's Have Another War. And uh, that was early on, and, and uh, we, we connected to artists who, who seemed to have interesting aspects to say. Well, we couldn't make an art exhibition on the Iraq war at that time, of course, but, so we kind of just broadened it and w- grasped the idea that seemed, you know, always relevant, that each war seemed to be pregnant with the next war. And we t- that's something we tend to forget. And mm. we were in a period when it was the Afghanistan, uh, you know, intervention to, to go for bin Laden. And then the Iraq war came. And then they started talking about an attack against Iran at the time. It was like, mm. so we did that. And then we find this title of an artwork by Isaac Reb, which we didn't display. We just borrowed the title for our exhibition. It's called Let's Have Another War. And... Uh, well, yeah, and then, hmm? as, 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 then the next thing, yeah, I'll let you in yeah. here. I just say, we just, after a while, we took a step back and needed mm. to reflect on what, what have we been so upset about? Why have we been so engaged? Mm. And then we did this reflection on our relationship to the U.S. and made an exhibition called uh, Our Broken American Hearts. Yeah, mm. I loved the title of that. I yes. found that very moving, actually. Mm. And it's sort of, as Eric was saying, we, we realized, of course, that we are, albeit Swedish or Greek-Swedish, like, you know, very much born with and raised with American and, and Anglo-Saxon culture, of course. And we love it and we hate it. Mm. We build our hope to it because there's a lot of interesting things going on and a lot of critique coming from there. Uh, but we also, uh, and sometimes at this point, of course, everybody was, was up with, oh, Obama, the, the new hope, and now they will solve everything, and, and Bush. And we were sort of thinking, well, wait a minute, that this new guy. We know this story really yeah, well. We know this, yeah. but, but at the time, you think, well, this guy, well, he's just, just the next American president, right? Mm. What do you expect? 
uh, and now we know, right? But we went back and found a lot of relations to popular culture, to media culture, mm-hmm. and to our this sort of love-hate or trust mm-hmm. and distrust relationship with our own sort of culture that we both love and have studied and worked a little bit in the in both in the US and in, and in England as well. So China not necessarily get away from that, but reflect on I, it. I was in a pub on Sunday night with I think thirty television screens and five Swedes and me mm. and the English Premier League on all thirty five screens mm. and Bruce Hornsby and the range playing through the loudspeakers. Uh-huh. Uh, and it made me think about the kind of ambivalence that Swedes must have linguistically mm. in terms of the power of English and the requirement yes. for people to learn it, but also with these gargantuan cultural forms that mm. are so popular here mm. as in most places. Mm. Um, and, of course, they come in part from Swedish heritage. You know, mm. the United States doesn't exist as the United States without a massively important Nordic presence. Uh, the mythic Midwest is basically about mm. Lutherans yeah. Mm. and so on. So mm. the, it's, it's also interesting that the, the yeah. separateness is not as great as a cultural imperialism model might suggest. Mm. There is a complicity mm. and uh, yeah. helping to build that history, uh. right? I mean, yeah. that's the, one of the fascinating things, I think. Uh. I'm the same, it's more obvious, but the British feel the same mm. way about the United States, I think. But with the mm. Swedes, it's, at a, a, you know, it's kind of a centuries removed, but it's there, mm. actually. Because the mythic heart of the United States is all about, right, the northern mm. Midwest and farming. Yeah, mm. yeah. And guess where that comes from? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what mythology yeah. that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and then we did an exhibition with uh, more than 30 uh, Arab cartoonists mm-hmm. uh, called On the Border, satirical drawings from the Arab world, which was done a couple of months before the uh, Arab Spring brought out. Uh, oh, so you caused it. I wondered. Everyone yes, thought it was, it was Twitter, us. but it was actually it, it was getting. But it was a more... Okay, we can <laughs> lay down yes. the pens. No more research grants to explain yeah. the Arab oh, Spring. Yeah. The answer yes. is here. The answer is here. <laughs> and uh, But it was more more of a, of, a, of a particular, not necessarily a direct answer to, but a more sort of reflection on the very crude and simplistic debate that we thought had been going on in Sweden and in Denmark, you know, about the... the the Muhammad caricatures, uh, mm. and there was a, a Swedish example of that as well. So instead of sort of being caught in a discussion whereby a lot of, of sort of uh, not right-wing and, 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 and uh, fascist people talk about uh, freedom of speech as if it's ever threatened in Sweden, right? Because obviously it's not. By uh, we instead wanted to display what goes on in in that tradition, and we found more. We, we display more than a hundred um, drawings from Bahrain to Morocco for the whole the whole. And we worked together with two Syrian Lebanese uh, cartoonists and artists that have ended up in in Norrköping and that have this broad network of contacts all over that that world. That was yeah. That was actually what triggered it. Yeah. Our contact with them. Yeah. They are active political. Uh, cartoonists mm-hmm. uh, and uh, but it but it met then with an interest and in, that we mm. had had from the mm. debates mm. about these uh, Muhammad cartoons and the Swedish artists doing these stunts and and this gave us the opportunity to do a kind of counter narrative to yeah. the one that yeah. was established oh that 
that came in the in the wake of the Muhammad cartoons that oh in the Arab world they don't quite understand irony as we do in the West and they don't How understand images and political blah 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 <laughs> and then we we met uh, Southern Sahar's work and all the contacts they had and learned about the image the importance of the image for political communication mm. in systems where uh, freedom of speech is squeezed and, and mm. you know, not, not as open. It became twice as important mm. or ten yes. times as important yeah. as here because mm. then the image, this, they, they have developed and have a tradition in many Arab countries of a very, very subtle form of criticism that they have to negotiate with and, and have worked with. And, and this became obvious when we did this exhibition here at the university and also simultaneously in Beirut through their connections yeah. and you know so so we had a kind of simultaneous similar mm. exhibition mm. because these artworks were not original works this is meant for publishing in daily papers so yeah. it's jpeg files of of drawings right you can send them you can handle them in another way than big oil paintings you know Mm. This made it mm. possible to have a big exhibition yeah. in two places. Mm. With yeah. two very different responses, of course. So in Beirut, yes. people were very interested in... Uh, also I think here comes this sort of Swedish Museum of Forgetting, um, displaying an interest in their media forms. Yeah. Um, in, the, in the drawings, like more than 100 drawings, you, you see a display of internal critique against religion, against politics, external critique against the U.S. and Israel, obviously, but also very humoristic pictures of the fruit market. Or the, so, so you discover that they are much better than we are, at least in Sweden today, or in, in, in the, the art of, of cartooning, because it's sort of dying off in, in, in Sweden now. Is it? Well, not dying off, but there's very few uh, artists, if you compare with this, yeah. Well, I guess it's the fate of newspapers in yeah, newspapers. wealthy yes. countries compared to other yes. countries, isn't mm. it? I mean, I make the point always, this is mm. the golden age of journalism uh, in terms of the proliferation of jobs and newspapers. It's just not the golden age in the places that think they're the center of journalism. Yeah. Right. There have never yes. been more readers. Mm. There's never been more hunger. You know, when I go around a place like Colombia, uh, it's still the case, as it was when I was a child in different countries, that when you walk down a street where there's a newspaper office, in the morning, people are lined up dozens deep to go in and pay for classified advertisements <laughs> in order to buy and sell motor car parts or lawnmowers uh, or whatever, or children, I don't know, whatever it is, you know, <laughs> and good and bad. But uh, it's the, the ultimate in the kind of Eurocentric view to say that journalism is imperiled. It's not. Mm. It's the golden age. Mm, yeah. It's just not for light-skinned people. But in any event, yes, it, that's interesting about yeah. cartooning because yeah. I noticed that political cartooning in the U.S. really is insignificant. In Britain, I think it still matters. It's still very interesting, mm. actually. Mm. But in the United States, it's really not an interesting world. And I'd never thought of it in terms of perhaps being correlated to the fate of newspapers, but mm. I'm mm. sure it is yeah, in yeah. part. Mm. So that's a fascinating thing. And I like the way that you were getting away from the notion of we must have free speech in the Nordic countries to cartoon in whatever way we want because uh, we're the only face of critique mm. and other forms of critique can't teach us anything. But you sidestepped that debate 
that is yeah. really endless and quite dull, mm. finally. Although important for those involved in terms of their safety, I recognize the freedom of yes, speech well. issues. But for those who are surrounding it, it actually doesn't get anywhere. And it's said to say, let's look at the other yes. in this story and its world of cartooning and yes. irony yeah. and free speech. Yeah, yeah, and you sort of discover that, that when we sort of rant about uh, as if we are threatened, mm. uh, that we, you, you realize that we, we're not, right? Uh, and the people who really are produce this vast array of uh, critical images yeah. and, and are really living with this, both as a media form and, mm. and as a, a current uh, stake in the debate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, it was a, I mean, it was really uh, saddening to see you know the Mohammed cartoon that a Danish paper set up this like advertisement, please make a cartoon of Mohammed, and they had Danish cartoonists coming. And this, people in Sweden and around Europe, I don't think were quite aware of how dark blue, almost brown, this biggest daily in Denmark is and was at the time. Mm. And they had been going after Muslims in, you know, for, 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 for years. Yeah. And that one of their leading columnists was the main ideologist of the right-wing populist party and so on. Yes. So this was in a context of a paper that had been really bashing migrants and especially Muslims mm -hmm. for a long time. So it was a little, you know, difficult mm -hmm. to see this as just this gesture to, to, to defend freedom yeah, of speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then and, then, and then you had a Swedish artist kind of repeating this stunt mm. uh, with making this cartoon of Muhammad as a dog. And then it got going. And, and, and the, the, I, I really thought that one of the products of these things was that you had in the TV studio some representative of Swedish Muslims that were asked to promise everybody that they was not going to throw a bomb. <laughs> Yeah, right. Basically, right. and that's yeah. that's the yeah. real product of these, yes. you know, yeah. so they, supposedly yeah. missions for freedom of speech. Mm. That you you kind of yeah. 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 So yeah. if you let them hijack the issue of uh, freedom of speech, mm. they can also put themselves off as the normal people, the normal Swedish proper way of doing mm. things that everybody should. Uh, and then they sort of put their positions one step forward, which is, of course, what, what's happening in Sweden anyway with the... Uh, with the right. Now, I must Sweden admit, I didn't Democrat. know this about the newspaper in Denmark. Oh. And I remember seeing an interview with the guy who edited it. I was living in Los Angeles at the time. And he, of course, for the purposes of the English language bourgeois media, came across as completely reasonable, even progressive. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I mean, they know what they're doing, these people, when they're yes. yeah, with yeah. simpleton audience yes. members like myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, yeah. The, the importance of using the, the notion of forgetting in this way that we're trying to, trying to do. Yeah. Because the forgetting in that instance would be that we, we tend to create a normalcy around this, this position that we in Sweden or in the Western world uh, are the obvious arbiters of democracy and free speech and everything. And nobody else is. Yeah, and that our forms of journalism are the ones that should be yes. exported. Yeah. That should be models for others, yeah? yeah? yeah. Presumably including cartooning. Hmm. Well, okay, gosh. Well, we've got about a quarter of an hour left, so we need to oh, race wow. through a couple more yes. right. exhibits, right? Yeah. Um, 
we made this exhibition for the first time being invited by a proper uh, <laughs> art hall, uh, the, the Linköping Art Gallery, Passagen. municipal gallery called Passagen. And we made this exhibition, The Political is Collective, Fractions. Can you say yeah, should I tell about the story where we were yeah. going? Actually, yeah. it has to do with the Arabic Spring. No, but we we felt in this. We did this in two thousand. Uh, when was this? Ten. Two thousand and twelve. Twelve, right? But we had been going with an idea for a long time, many years, like to to do something called the Swedish Revolution. Before, because two thousand eight, two thousand nine, it seemed like. The revolution, what, what, whatever happened to that? It seemed like a label or a word or a concept that we could pull out from the closet, you know, and dust off and, and play with that. And then we had an imagination of an exhibition that would be displaying a, a kind of fake uh, Swedish revolution. So it would all be fake. We would do fake... Uh, texts of, of how to deal with violence and we have footage you know from the Gothenburg uh, incident riots, riots uh, 2001 mm. and so on so we we played with this idea and but the the reasons for it global capitalism precarious labor and and the situation for migrants and and the neoliberalism in, in times mm. they would be authentic uh, so how about playing with mm. that? And then the Arabic Spring came, and and mm. <laughs> the whole cultural world and the whole world would start in talking about in the terms of revolution. And we kind of stopped in the step. And uh, I think you came up with this idea: let's go a little social democratic and, and think <laughs> what well, what is forgotten now in our days. Well, mm. that politics is exactly collective. Is collective. It was mm -hmm. still aiming at a kind of norm of individualism and so on. So we wanted mm. to think through. Uh, the political mm. and the political in in art. So it was a, a question about the relationship between the fictitious and the real in politics and in art, and, mm. and the, con the interconnection between these elements. Mm. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so that's where we started and invited people to to let's think through mm. the political. And, and and a lot of artists contributed and had done interesting reflections on on, on how they understood what politics is. Mm -hmm. So it's, I would say, a bit more philosophical I was approach. Say it sounds a little more yes. abstract. Yeah, it mm -hmm. was definitely. And and I think we were semi-successful in getting it through what we wanted. It was an investigation also, mm. but but I oh, think I we really found uh, interest. It was an interesting way to kind of have a philosophical idea to frame an exhibition like this yeah. around politics. And I think what well, well, I think it was very successful. I mean, you don't have to adhere to the idea that if you do something with the political as, as in the title, it needs to be sort of activist or it needs to be sort of. Uh, this exhibition was also the, first, the, the the exhibition where we showed Nuria Guell's work, mm -hmm. the humanitarian yeah. aid project, as one of the center centerpieces. This one on the website is an image that's part of another one by Monica Marklinger, uh, which shows a banner in an Indian city uh, as an as an ad uh, on a, on the building, uh, and a lot of workers, painters on scaffolding, very scarce scaffolding, painting this billboard mm. with the text. Sometimes I think painting is the only way we'll have a revolution. 
so it has this sort of double uh, meaning mm, of, yeah, all, yeah. All, of all this in a in a in no, a but I, I didn't mean it wasn't successful, mm. but uh, some of the critics had kind of expected from the title and so on, and from mm. be, that we were doing it, that this would be very political. Mm. That would be, you know, take it to the streets kind of, and then they come in and see some, some were very extremely abstract, like uh, Imanisa, an Egyptian and New York-based, uh, Cairo and New York-based artist who had made this sound piece, and which was just a kind of showing the dialect, showing the idea of dialectics, mm. you know, through uh, like a machine sound going through two speakers. And, uh, Costa just made this wonderful yeah, yeah. sound. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like but, a didgeridoo. Ooh, but do you remember yeah. the title? It's, uh, you, you, you're always good. It's um, kind of complicated. Something like, she does, does a, a series of mon monuments, like suggestion for a monument. Mm -hmm. And displaying, displaying the, the continuous decline and rise of a nation. nation. And we thought, oh, this this is dialectics. Yes. <laughs> Let's put yeah. this together with, yeah. you know. But can you make the noise again? <laughs> I just love it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> another, an, another work was the, the, the No Project from, from Santiago Sierra that, that allowed us to make a a, a version of it. He has this project called No Global Tour, where these two letters "No" travel around the world and gets uh, exhibited in various uh, originally in a, in a sculpture, a sculpture, big two big letters M mm -hmm. and O. And he we negotiated with him, and we, we he, he suggested that we make a banner. So we make the banner outside on the central square in Linköping, outside the art hall, which is uh, in one of the buildings there. Um, Saying this, no, and you had a very—I never forget that. You have a very good expression about why we, about why we selected that. The no is the start of any political action. No, I don't take this anymore. No. Yeah, yeah, and, and and yeah, for politics, if mm -hmm. we disagree, then we have something to talk about, you yeah. know, rather than an idea of a, of a consensus, which is kind of yeah, more creating mm -hmm. silence. Whereas we have a relationship that's interesting. If mm -hmm. somebody says yeah. no. And it was also maybe in the back of our head. I, I think it's Baudrillard who, who wrote what the, the referendum about the euro was about, or you know the European Union, the, the euro. And and he has this saying that what we are asked to uh, vote about is or to do as Europeans now is to say yes to yes. And that was kind of yeah. the atmosphere about the European Union yeah. and the Euro. And and and, uh, and we thought, yeah, there's there's lacking a no here somewhere. Yeah, and of course the yeah. awful Obama campaign, yes, we can. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> there's a great uh, Nahuatl word they use in Mexico for something you don't like. There's not really a proper word in Spanish, which is guacala. It's very onomatopoeic. It's like vomiting. Yeah, yeah. Guacala. Yeah. Ugh. Makes me think of this uh, Life of Brian, the Monty Python film, where there's this scene, they, they're all quarreling, and somebody's trying to calm down the people in Jerusalem or wherever. Hey, hey, people, calm down, calm. We are all individuals, he says. <laughs> and then there's one voice, no, not, not me. me. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
But also but, uh, this... So the no yeah, is important. The, the no is important. And this banner was there uh, during the time of the exhibition. And on this square, for several years, the Sweden Democrats Party had made a small demonstration every Saturday. Um, which is a right-wing party. Yes, which is, uh, who are now in the parliament. Right. But, but then uh, they, they weren't in the parliament. But they've gradually risen. And people weren't bothering so much about that. They stood there, and it was part of their sort of slow campaign mm. of making people accept mm. them somehow. And now they've got 13% in the, in, the, uh, in, in the ordinary elections last year. Uh, but they were standing there mm. previously. But then we put no on. But it was, I mean, I, it's, it's quite a big banner f between flagpoles with the distance. It's quite big yes. on the main square of the city. And yep. we thought people would be a little upset. That, what do you mean no? Why be negative and so on? But nothing happened rather than that somebody tried to file a complaint about building permissions. Mm. But it's not a building, so I think it's just, you yeah. know. And but, that was 2012. Yes, summer, northern summer of 2012. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so and yeah, and then we had a kind of a little break, I would say. Mm -hmm. and well, then, then we're back to to uh, the migration project. Yeah, and then we started well, that. We started with. I wanted to ask you, Costa, if you don't mind my putting this. You mentioned yourself as Greek Swedish. Were you a migrant or your family? Well, my family was. I was three when we moved to. Was that to because of the dictatorship? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. and the whole political situ situation in, in Greece. But also, I think, because my parents, who are quite old now, saw themselves as uh, they were politically active in, in Greece, as you would be maybe in many European countries after the war, having a hope for a better um, political organization of, of your life and, and, mm. and the state, and having having hopes of that, and seeing those hopes being being crushed. And... Yes, um, looking at Sweden as some, some kind of model for uh, um, a, a proper citizenship and a proper life. Yes, that's sort it's of the romantic so story about that would be that, as many other people did. Uh, and um, But now they're uh, afraid that that's not sort of a, not the case. Out of place anymore. A lot of listeners may not know about the US-backed military coup in yeah. Greece and the dictatorship. So yes. maybe you could just fill well, them in from for, 60, for a few minutes. From 1967 yeah. to, to, to 73. But also earlier than that, uh, some say that, that Greece was one of the trial grounds for the um, post-war policy that the US set up. And also Britain, because after the war it was the English that sort of came back to administer. And there was a civil war for uh, several years, two, three years, where a lot of people were in, 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 in the country, uh, which were, and the English and Americans were uh, supporting, of course, the conservative uh, right-wing governments. That, that, uh, and it, it said that they tried out many of the policies that in they Greece. later deployed in Vietnam and in other countries, so destabilization. And of course, the year That's after the restitution of democracy, mm -hmm. the British and the Americans gave the green light to the Turks to invade Cyprus? Well, I think it was a sort of a double um, thing there, of course, that, that it was the Greek uh, military government to, to, that tried to get away from the internal... Uh, the, 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 the start of the, their sort of downfall mm. uh, by diverting it and trying to sort of set up uh, a coup in, in, in Cyprus and the Turks sort of 
reacted and, and in, invaded. So it was both. Right, both, but I mean, uh, and, but, yeah, but the mm. British and the Americans did. Yes, well, and Greece and they, Turkey they have it, the Gre- Greece and Turkey have uh, the highest military spending within within NATO per capita from sort of being uh, both being in NATO in a sort of stabilizing situation, mm-hmm. but still sort of having bought lots and lots and lots of American equipment to uphold their air forces. Mm. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're both a trial ground um, and there have also been a market for, for the military industry, industrial complex, of course. So it's good if you, if yeah. you can sort of uh, uh, run the markets and run the... Uh, and, and the crisis today is just uh, horrible, and that's not mm. sort of very much talked about. But they are, are, but that's the European Union that are dismantling the traces of of a public or welfare state that there was, which yeah. wasn't there. And now your parents, they can't think of returning. No, they never did. They, they've always been sort of, no, we're in Sweden now. This is where we... we but they're traumatised by Sweden's turn to the right. A little bit, yeah. Away oh, yeah. from social democracy. Yes. And Eric, do you have a family background related to immigration at all? Or are you seeing this more as, you know, a person growing up in Sweden experiencing... Yeah, well, yeah, I can't... Uh, no, I can't really... Uh, well, people have moved... You know, relatives of mine moved yeah. to the U.S. and yeah. so on in the '60s and, and to other places, but I'm I'm Swedish, Swedish as they come. I must admit. No, nothing wrong with that. It's just <laughs> a, it's interesting to think about these yeah, yeah. different experiences that you both must have yeah, yeah. as Swedes uh, of this question of migration. When yeah, I think when well, one, I mean, you yeah. know, one person is part of migration as a traveler with a family, and one person. It's more a case of people leaving Sweden. Mm. Yeah, cases. yeah. Well, I think more important than is is growing up in Sweden, and uh, um, you know, so in the seventies, we had the, you had this single oh, uh, Greeks were the <laughs> early one who came. You had one Greek student suddenly come. They didn't speak Swedish, so I think that was meeting when I was like twelve, thirteen. That you had these Turks, Greeks, uh, so on came in. Yeah, mm. and and. Where you met them in school, and they were, you know, that experience. Mm. Uh, yeah. And, and and then, uh, in in larger numbers and so on, mm. more more. But more I'd, I'd say also about my parents and a lot of the people that came in the sixties, and they they were very much for integration, so they weren't sort of building like Greek communities. And of course, when I moved to sort of a, a, a Stockholm housing and housing estate where we where I grew up. There weren't so, as Eric was saying, there weren't so. It was me and a couple yeah, more, yeah. more. So it yeah. wasn't. There wasn't nothing to sort of build up there. Now you had a different like, sounding name. You spoke another language. It. Yes, but you didn't have the same religious background. No? Well, but those weren't the the determining factors for for your uh, for the kids around you, right? It was mm-hmm. more like if you were good at football or if you were. Uh, so, so, so the kids didn't have any idea that this was a problem at all. That that was part of the whole mm. problem. Rather, when I was in like fifth grade or something, our our teacher actually raised her hand in class and said, "Well, kids, you know, we actually have an immigrant here as well in class." And all the kids just turned their heads and looked. Who was that? What, what is that? And who could it be? And it turned out to be me. Well, so, well, we'll learn quickly. Then. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> about that. Yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and that, so, so. was that what one might call a very negative sort of othering experience for you? 
being spoken of in that way? Uh, I didn't quite understand what it was. So I went home and asked my mother what it was, and she was very uh, upset. So she went down and told the, the teacher off and said, that, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah. We, we are working to be oh, sort of like anybody else, like normal, not sort of adapting to some sort of Swedishness or something, just being in an equal place yeah. where everybody's Understood. worth are the same. So. Hi. But it's Stockholm University. <laughs> How are you? I'm well. How are we you? Are recording. Oh, good. You're recording. Sorry. No, it's okay. It's all right. We. Yes, it's, sure. it's, it's meant to be a conversation. <laughs> yes. We're just sitting in the theater room, by the way. That's right. Localization. Yeah. Yeah. Public service. Three <laughs> <laughs> So it That's hasn't a, been. Then you have another immigrant. Yeah, an American US. that works here. So it, it wasn't an issue then, for me, to have sort of. A different identities, or, or the, you, mm. you had sort of like multiple identities anyway through very practical things. But I, I mean, just to but to to, to complicate story. things I, from those years you're talking about, there was a yeah yeah, Costa is Costanson, but I also remember how my my youth and growing up was also filled. With racist jokes, racists that were going around with the Poles and the Greeks and the blacks and so on. Very crude one, very explicit. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and that was yes. also part of growing up. And I guess maybe it is all over, but I later, more studying uh, racism mm. and so on, you know, I've been thinking we've all taken, you know, the introductory course. Well, this is the yes. thing, and what I take from the Museum of Forgetting. I can wind things up here, is that you're trying to get us back to these introductory courses <laughs> so that we can challenge them, yeah. Yeah. all of us. Yeah, that's yeah. a nice way to yeah. do it. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. It's been great talking to you and learning a bit more about the Museum of Forgetting. And I want you to come back into the pod maybe next time when you have an exhibit. Mm? Sure, yes. That'd be great. Okay, great. thanks.